and uh, just been faithful there. My daughter has got to be around her and with her, so we're going to pray for them as they, as they leave. We, we will continue to pray for them and, uh, and join, join God just in celebrating what he's going to do in and through their lives. Would you, would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we come to you with prayers like this, and it's, it's bittersweet at times because we, we know the, the loss we may feel and suffer, but God, we know that you are working in and through all of us, and God, as we send Laura and Kylie, God, we pray that you would encourage them, strengthen them with your mighty right hand. You would fill them with your spirit. God, you would guide and direct them all the days of their lives. God, as they, as they find a, a settling place in Reading, as they find a place to, to serve and to worship and to fellowship in Reading, God, as they find a family, God, to be next to and side by side and to do life together with, God, as they, as they work and do jobs and school, God, I pray that you would be in their midst the entire time. God, we lift them up to you. We commit them to you, knowing that you are going to do something beautiful and amazing through their lives as they let, as they let you. We trust you with that. And although they'll be absent from us, we know they'll be present with someone else, serving and benefiting for the kingdom of God. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. We love you guys very much. <clears throat> So we are in James. We're going to be there in James chapter 1. We'll be in Philippians a little bit if you want to get a, a head start there. It's, uh, it's good to see you. It's, it's been great to be with you uh, over the past month, every week. Um, I, I just want to let you know, give you a little update on, on me and where I'm at and kind of what's going on. I, I really I want to let you know that I really do feel like I'm doing good. I feel good. And I, I know that God is good. Amen. And uh, that has been a resounding, a resounding uh, voice in my mind all the time. God is reminding me of his goodness and, and how awesome he is. But I do feel like I need a bit of a reset or a rebuilt, reboot in my mind and in my heart. It's kind of been hard to find a spot to land there as I think about preaching and think about leading again. Uh, it's been deeply, deeply healing. I want to let you know, uh, having been here and remaining with you over the past month every week for hugs and for support and for encouragement, not only for you, to do that for me, but for me to do that with you and, uh, and the rest of my family as they've been here. Uh, to walk alongside one another has been proven invaluable. I also consider our church, ourselves, myself, blessed beyond measure to have uh, people like you who are in our church who take the lead at every opportunity, who say, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to, to fill in, I'm willing to, to lead, I'm willing to, to love. Uh, it's been amazing, an amazing blessing for me to have, have strong, willing, strong, willing men and women uh, to lead in all aspects of ministry. It's been great having those who can fill in at the pulpit as well, preaching and teaching God's word and not compromising what we do on a Sunday morning as the body of Christ. It's been, it's been rewarding for me to see that. And although I and you, I presume most of you, will grieve for a long time to come and there's a lot of pains that we'll, we'll see together and trials will, will be here together, there must be a point where we continue to move forward for the gospel, amen? amen? That that is what we are about, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we will move forward with that. Um, but in that mindset of needing that reset and that re reboot, um, I, I need that break, and I've asked the personnel committee for a two-week leave of absence, just a family leave. Uh, it does not mean I'm staying away from you. It means I'm going to take two weeks off, and I'll be back. And uh, I just need, like I said, that reset, that reboot in my heart, and I pray that you would pray for me and my family as we have that, that time off in a way. Uh, I'll be using that, that time just to strengthen myself and my faith and, and reground, uh, reground me in, into where I believe we need to go as a church, trusting that God 
uh, will, will guide and lead. So I am still your pastor. I am still your brother. I am still your friend. That has not changed. Um, I just may be absent for two weeks. Okay? Does that make sense? There's no, nothing to add to that. That's pretty much it. Okay? Um, I, I am feel, I'm feeling great to be uh, here. They call it in the pulpit today, uh, preaching today. Uh, I've, I've longed to do this, but uh, again, trying to resettle my mind and get to that place where I can uh, has been difficult. It's been, it's been neat uh, trusting in God and allowing God to work in me and through me, uh, but it's taken much longer to prepare a sermon than it normally has. So um, I'm just praying for that, that rejuvenation, I, and I ask that you would pray for me as well in that. So we are going to, uh, to be in James today. We're going to be looking at trials and troubles and how we uh, are refined through them. Uh, and the theme, the theme goes along with our, our International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church today. So I'm excited to kind of balance those out and kind of reconcile those together in our own hearts as we go forward. Okay, would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we commit our time to you today. We ask that as we open your word, that you would, you would impart truth and wisdom to our hearts. You give us clarity of how you want to challenge us, how you want to change us, how you need us to repent and return to you. And God, as we look at our trials and troubles that we face every day, God, I pray we would, we would find and, and lean on a perspective that comes only from you, of refinement, of strength, of comfort and courage. We trust you with that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are promoting the International Day of Prayer uh, for the Persecuted Church. This is the weekend that that is celebrated internationally. Um, and, and many churches throughout the nation and throughout the world today are praying for the Persecuted Church. I, I know the Missions Committee has had it on their heart to to, to do this this week. Uh, after service, you will be able to, per, one per household, get your prayer calendar for the International Day of Prayer and the Persecuted Church. So it's a calendar you can take home, put on your wall, and you'll be reminded to pray, and there are prayer needs in that calendar. There's also the, the Prayer Force Alert Bulletin insert that Chris mentioned earlier in your bulletin, and probably some on the kiosk if you didn't get one, just how you can pray this month in specific areas for uh, Christians around the world who are sharing their faith and sharing the gospel. Um, today it's a day we remember those who are in chains, or being persecuted, we remember and think about the troubles they face because of their faith in Christ. And today is a day where we can stand with them, we can pray for them, and we can learn from them. Well, we stand with them as we remember and hear their stories. As you go to these calendars and these bookmarks and these, these stories, as you, as you get maybe emails from Voice of the Martyrs, you'll see their stories and you'll remember to pray for your brothers and sisters who are facing trouble in many different ways, many deeper ways than we do here. Amen? The trouble they face is, is, is unto death. And I think we could face that trouble one day, but we don't face that trouble today in America. So we remember them. We pray for them, as Chris did earlier. We pray for the persecuted church. We continue to pray and lift up our brothers and sisters. And I, I really I want us to understand today, as we, we talk about this idea of being refined in times of trials, that my prayer for the persecuted church, I've, I've got prayer requests before that come in my inbox. It says, pray for so-and-so to be released from prison and to, to be set free. And I, I, I kind of like, well, is that really what God wants? I wonder sometimes, is that really what God wants? Because I, I think if you would ask a lot of those pastors or missionaries who are, who are in chains or imprisoned or facing death and torment, that they would say, don't, don't pray that I be released. Pray that I have strength to endure this. Pray that as I have strength and courage and boldness that I will continue to speak the name of Jesus, never faltering. That the gospel would go forward and the, the ears of my captors would be, be only able to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Not one of wimpy escape 
from torment. I think we're so comfortable with the idea of comfort, aren't we? That sometimes we miss the theme in Scripture of suffering. That it actually says in Scripture that it's God's will that we suffer for doing good. And we can't escape that. And today we're going to learn from them. Learn from their stories, but we'll learn from the Scriptures and the stories of other brothers and sisters who have gone before us who suffered in like ways. And maybe God will change our hearts about our own troubles and suffering. Here's the truth. Everyone who lives endures some form of trouble in life. Amen? Some form of trouble. You know, we've always say this. If, you haven't, uh, if you're not experiencing trouble now, you probably just went through trouble or you're going to pretty soon. Trouble is always on the horizon. Pain is always on the horizon. Suffering is always on the horizon. Loss is always on the horizon. Persecution is always on the horizon. It will come. It's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. And then when it does, what will God have us do? Job said this, Mankind, in, in Job 5, 7, Mankind is born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And listen, that's just humanity. Everyone's born for trouble. We'll, we'll, we'll face that. But being a Christ follower does not exempt us from trouble in life, does it? We think that, that sometimes you know, if, we, if we come to Jesus and, and know Jesus as our Savior, He's going to make life just peachy, isn't He? It's going to be great. He's going to take the lemons and make lemonade, and we're going to just drink up of that. No, He says in this life you're going to endure struggles. And John, uh, Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, he says. I have conquered the world. We will have suffering in this world. We will have pain. We will have sorrow. We will have loss. But take heart, he says. I have told you the things that your peace would be in me. So not only will we suffer trouble in this world, we'll also suffer trouble because of our faith. We, we go through life, and life just brings trouble, doesn't it? Trouble happens. But as we exhibit our faith and as, we, as we, we teach and preach or as we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ in a world that needs it, the darkness will start to surround. Trouble will start to surround. And we must, we must know and remember that we will face pressure because of our faith in Christ. John 15, 20 says, Remember the word I spoke to you as a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. Do you know there are people who do not want anything to do with Jesus? They will reject him to their dying breath. With every ounce of energy and strength in their body, they will reject Jesus Christ, and you and I will feel that rejection. But they are rejecting Christ. And that is on them. Our job is to share Christ. And this morning, as we look at the passage in James, I hope we can see a perspective about our faith being strengthened and refined no matter what the source of our trouble might be. Whether it's just life troubles, or whether it's extreme strong persecution, that we would see a refinement happening in us. Faith must be strengthened so it can prove itself reliable, not only when things are going well, but also when they are not. Amen? Faith, faith is worthless if it just happens to be strong in times of strength, or times of goodness and blessing. Our faith is something that must be strong in times of affliction and trial. Like I said earlier, there's this, this idea of confinement versus refinement. I think those who are confined for their faith, those who are imprisoned or in chains for their faith, 
and, or even you or I who face trouble, we sometimes feel like it's some kind of a prison or a confinement or we're locked in and we're, we're battered down. The perspective of Scripture says, don't have a pity party about poor me being confined in jail or poor me being confined to this persecution or poor me being confined to these troubles. It says embrace those troubles and let Jesus refine you instead. That as we face those troubles, there's going to be a refinement that happens. So the question is this, how can we refine our faith through troubles? How can we refine our faith through troubles? I think there's three things. We'll start here in James chapter 1. Number one is this, we submit ourselves to Christ as his servant. We submit ourselves to Christ as his servant. Listen, if we can't get that, nothing else will matter. If we can't understand that we are submissive to Jesus Christ and we are servants to him as the master, he can't refine us. He can't strengthen us. He can't give us comfort. He can't give us a perspective that only comes from him. The first thing we have to do is submit ourselves to Christ as his servant. James 1.1, James writes this, James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings. James is writing a letter. He's writing this letter to to Jewish believers who are scattered about and dispersed among the area. He wants them to to take heart and understand that that he has counted himself as a bondservant of Christ. And to some of those believers, when that letter reaches, they will have found that a shock. Because James, being the half-brother of Jesus, didn't quite think Jesus was all with it. There were times where he and his family came and said, let's put Jesus in in that home over there because he's a little cuckoo. He's talking crazy stuff. He's going to get us all killed. They weren't really sure if he, if he was really who he said he was. But of course, once Jesus died and rose again, there was victory. And there's victory in the heart of Jesus' half-brother, James. And James now, being a, being a strong leader in the church in Jerusalem, writes a letter to the other believers, knowing that as they go out for the sake of Christ, they will face persecution, just as James persecuted his brother. Just as James felt the persecution in Jerusalem. Just as James, later on in his life, was thrown off the temple and beaten with a huge club. This is, this is what happens because of Jesus. But we submit ourselves to Christ as his servant in times of trial. We make ourselves a bond servant. Is what that, that, that slave is a, is a willing servant that I put myself willingly underneath the authority of my master. And I will willingly serve there because I want to. It's a response. See, when, when we come to Christ in faith, we come to him empty and weak and he fills us up with his power and his righteousness. See, we're empty. We're nothing without him. And when we come to him in faith, he is our everything. We embrace him as our everything. And he gives us his power and the strength, and he gives us this perfection and forgiveness that only comes through Christ. He gives us rest for our souls. And when we come to Christ in faith, and he gives us that, the only natural response, the only worthy response to him is that we lay ourselves down. Amen? That we would say, I count my life as nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Because he is my everything, and I will be his humble servant. I'll be one willing to do whatever he would have me do. To be used in any way that might bring honor or glory to Jesus to do anything that might express my love for him. It's a willingness to submit ourselves to Christ as a servant. I want you to look at uh, Philippians. Turn to the book of Philippians. Just keep your finger here in James and, and go 
towards, it's, I, I say back, it's towards the front of the Bible, a few pages to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 3. I want to I show this perspective that Paul had. I kind of mentioned it a minute ago. I kind of quoted this. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 7 through 9. It says, But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value or treasure or delight of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. Paul says everything else is a loss. Everything else I consider loss or rubbish, except the surpassing value or delight or treasure that I have in knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, listen, when we submit ourselves to Christ as his servant, what we're saying is that no one else will satisfy. There is no one else that we can go to, and nothing else will satisfy us except for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that is the hope that's on the horizon for us every morning, is knowing and delighting in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So number one, we submit ourselves to Christ as a servant. Number two, if we want to be refined in our faith through trials, we embrace the joy of trusting in Christ. We embrace the joy of trusting in Christ. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. Look what he says. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Interesting. Interesting form of words he uses, but it's direct. And that word consider was an imperative. It's a command. It's not like maybe when you're in trouble, maybe if you get time, maybe think about Jesus and the hope he might be able to offer you. What it is, is you and I, as followers of Christ, as ones who have submitted ourselves to the only one we have found satisfaction, the only one we could find forgiveness and righteousness and fulfillment in, when we have submitted ourselves to him, you and I must consider it joy when we face trials. Now that is the opposite of everything the world would tell you to do, right? That's the opposite. of the, When the world sees trouble, they run away. What James is saying is when you see trouble, welcome it. Welcome it. And there's a perspective that we have to get. We have to get a better perspective on this joy. So turn back to Philippians again. Maybe you've kept your finger there. We're in chapter 4 now. We'll still be in James, but go to Philippians chapter 4. I want us to get a little better perspective on the joy that, that he's talking about and how this works. How this works. We should have a perspective about what Jesus is going to do. We've seen it, right? And we've seen it in the beginning in the moment when we trusted Christ, when he's our everything. There's a joy in that. There's a satisfaction that we find in that. We talked about submitting to God and delighting in Him. And that delight is that joy that we have. We have a joy that's in Him. And that's, that's where, we, where we make the connection. You see, there's a joy in Christ. So then James can say, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Because why? We have a joy that is in Christ. And Christ isn't surprised by the trial or the trouble or the temptation or the persecution. Christ knows exactly what's going on. So we can consider it joy because we are found in Him. Here's Philippians chapter 4. We'll, be, we'll begin in verse 10. 
and go through 13. Paul again saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So he was excited that people wanted to give and support him and take care of him, that God was using them to do that. But, but the connection is that I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And let's see really why he's rejoicing in the Lord greatly. In verse 11, I don't say this out of a need, for I have learned to be, what? Content in whatever circumstances I am. I rejoice greatly in the Lord in any circumstance, because I've learned how to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to have little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret in, of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And then we have the fam- most famous verse, or one of the most famous verses in Scripture that everyone likes to write on their, their bumper stickers or to put a tattoo on their arm or whatever they want to do, right? But understanding the joy we have and where it is placed makes this verse so much more relevant to us. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because I've learned the secret of being content. And, and I, here it is. I am able to do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me. That in the middle of trouble, in the middle of trial, whether I'm well fed or I'm hungry, there is a strength in me, there's a strength in you that comes only from our relationship with Jesus Christ. That comes only from him. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. He is the rock that I can stand on. And and embracing the joy of trusting Christ means I'm embracing the joy of being in Christ and letting my strength be his strength. That when I am weak, then I am strong because his grace is sufficient for me. Paul's explaining that whatever the circumstance, he rejoices greatly in the Lord because it is the Lord in which he finds his contentment. It's not the trial or the absence of trial that he finds contentment and comfort. It's from the Lord. And listen, we don't welcome trials because we like pain. Like, oh, bring it on. I want some more pain. I want some more suffering. I want some more jail time. I want some more persecution. That's not what this is about. We don't welcome trials because we like pain and suffering. We welcome trials because we have a friend and comforter in Jesus. That there is a strength and resolve in him. We have joy in trials because we have a sincere trust and hope and joy in the promise and goodness of God. Amen? That's how we welcome trials because we can find a joy in trusting Christ. Finally, number three, how do we refine our faith through trials? Well, we view trials from an enduring perspective, it's about endurance about running the race, going for the long haul. And if you and I are going to be set to run this race for the long haul, we have to let those little trials, those little tribulations, those little temptations, those little victories that God has given us strengthen our resolve to endure better next time. Look at what it says in verse 3. Verse 2, right, he says, endure, consider it joy when you face trials. And then it says in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing. The Greek word for knowing here carries the idea of having full knowledge and understanding, mostly based on personal experience or the example of others. Now, if you need the example of others, you can look around and someone in here is struggling or going through a trial and someone is trusting in Jesus as their joy and their hope. You can learn from that. We can see that example. It certainly has been an example set for me. 
I have seen that in many of you. I've also seen that in, in many around the world and their stories of hope and their stories of triumph, not because they were strong enough, but because Christ was strong enough in them. And see, those examples give us this knowledge, this fullness of knowledge that we would know that the testing of our faith will produce endurance in our lives. It shows this depth of a refined faith that you and I can know for certain that every trial, every trouble, every pain will produce endurance in us. But listen, that's not something to be done on your own. I, you know, I meet with a lot of people and I, I talk to a lot of people and I, they like to isolate. And even, even when we come here on Sunday mornings, we, we tend to isolate. We might sit in a little further away from somebody than we should. We may leave a little early or come in a little late. And, and what we're avoiding is this vulnerable community that we need to have. This fellowship and this support and this structure that, that lends itself to strengthening and encouraging. That lends itself to lifting each other up and pointing us to Jesus who is actually the one who strengthens and comforts. That's what's important is true, vulnerable community. And I, I can't make you do that. you got to come to a place in your heart where you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be willing to go out on a limb. I'm going to be willing to be vulnerable and share and be a little risky about sharing. I'm not going to, in shame and pride, hide where I'm at. I'm going to open up so that God can strengthen me through this trial with others. That He'll produce, produce an endurance in me. And if I don't have that endurance, I'll find it in others that do and in Christ who strengthens. It's only through Christ who strengthens us. It cannot be done alone. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians, I'll, I'll read this to you. It says, No temptation or trouble or trial, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it or to endure it. But he is not saying, what he is not saying is you can do it on your own. He's saying that you can do it only with him. That you can develop endurance, that you can, you can get out of temptation, that you can weather trouble and storms only with him. And as you do, that you will endure it. The promise from the Lord is not, that he, not only that, that our faith will endure and be intact in the, in the troubles and trials, not only that it's going to be intact, but it will also be stronger after the trial. Our strength will be bolstered. Our faith will be bolstered. We'll know a different hope and a new joy and a greater joy in Jesus. Last, last passage today, Psalm chapter 40, if you turn there with me. Kind of the middle of the Bible, a little bit to the left. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 40. We're in verses 1 through 3. This enduring perspective that we have is this perspective of patiently waiting on the Lord as He guides us through our trials, as He guides us through our trouble, as He provides strength for us. Look what the psalmist wrote. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me, and He heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay. And what did he do? And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
Our God is an amazing God. Our God will set our feet on a rock. Listen, in times of trouble, in times of distress, in times of temptation or persecution, Christ is our everything. And if he's not, we have nothing. Christ is our everything. And for those of you or those of us who are in the middle of a trial or trouble or storm or persecution or temptation, don't do it without him. And don't do it without others. Let God use others and his strength as a healing in your life. Place your hope and joy and your faith in Jesus. Because he's the one who brings that joy. He's the one who brings that contentment. And he will set your feet on a rock. I've experienced that in a, in a totally new way. And I, I just want you to know that. Like when everything around me felt shattered, when everything around me felt like it was shaking, I felt this, this huge hug from my daddy Jesus. And that he's placed me right on the rock that he was. And he said, things can shake, things can break, but I've got you. I've got you planted. And I felt a, a bolstering of courage and strength and faith like I have never experienced in my life. You know, there's times in your life where you're like, is my faith really all that? Is it really, is it really real? Will it really do what he says it will do? Yeah, it will. If you have a proper faith in Jesus Christ, it will. It will strengthen like you have no idea. Beyond measure, he'll place you on a rock. He'll put a new song in your heart. We need to embrace what God will do for us in our trials, in our troubles. He's going to refine us for his glory and for our joy. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, we thank you for the trials that we're facing. God, it's our prayer that we, we want to welcome them because we know that you will show up and you are our everything. God, help us not to consider them as a confinement or a discomfort, but God, help us to consider them as an opportunity you're, you've given us, you're giving us to grow in the joy and the hope that we have in you. Strengthen us. Renew our hearts. Develop an endurance in us for the long haul that our faith and hope would be secure in you. We thank you for all that you're doing. We ask that you continue to guide and direct us. Give us a hope every day that's in Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to share in the, uh, in the Lord's Supper today. I'm asking those who are serving the Lord's Supper, if you would come up, the ones I asked, uh, to come on up. And then our worship team is going to lead us in song. Um, today we have the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper, and it's, I think it's one of those great, great moments every time we get to do this, because we're remembering how sufficient Christ is, amen? amen? That this is not about how good I've been this week, it's not how good I've been since last Lord's Supper, it's about how good Jesus is. Charles Spurgeon, I read a quote this week, it just, it's kind of been in my mind and on my heart all week long. He said, all of my doctrine, all my theology can be summed up in four words. Jesus died for me. And I'm just like, that's profound. Right? Story over, lesson done. Jesus died for me. And when we approach the, the table of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Christ has done, we do so remembering that His blood, that His sacrifice covered what I couldn't cover. That He did what I could never do. And when He rose from the dead, He proved it. He said, in fact, I'll give you life that's eternal because I have the power not only over sin but over death. I'm the conqueror. 
He's conquered the world. Amen? Amen. He's conquered what we could not. And, and as we partake in the Lord's Supper, it's, it's a time of sharing in fellowship. Some of sharing in, in what he's done. And, and we get to share and identify with those believers who are overseas as well. Those who may not be able to, to partake in the Lord's Supper except for, through spirit or in the bread and water that they receive and they remember the Lord. So we do this remembering them as well. That they are partakers in the suffering of, of the Lord as well. That's, that's our responsibility. That's our privilege that we have. Jesus offered me forgiveness and perfection through his blood through his beaten body. And we know that by his wounds and only by his wounds are we healed. I hope you'll make this a time of celebration as we share in the Lord's Supper. The way we do it in our church, if you haven't been a part of this before, uh, we pass out the elements one at a time. We pass out the, the little cracker first. And every, we wait till everyone gets one. And once everyone has been served, and then we, we read scripture and pray together and we partake together. And then we pass out the, the juice that represents the, the blood, the wine. And we, again, wait for everyone to be served. And once everyone's been served, we read Scripture, we pray together, and we partake together at the same time. If you're not a believer, this, this doesn't mean anything to you yet. I hope it has a meaning eventually to you. And we just ask that, you know what, you're, you watch, you observe, and you can pass it along to the next person. But for you and I who have trusted Christ, who have followed Christ, who have laid ourselves down because he laid himself down for us, this means everything to us. Partake with gladness, with joy, and with hope.